good to be with you. We were just talking a little bit about, about doing good, and Dirk did such a great job last week inviting us to help like unleash a wave of generosity through West Michigan, partnering with Kids Food Basket. And we want to do the same thing today. I know some of you brought food to donate last week. Some of you took out your phones and you said yes to giving financially. Then we're going to give through Encounter Church to Kids Food Basket and want to take a minute to do the same. Our hope is that everybody plays, everybody participates. So if you gave last week, incredible. If you haven't yet, I want to invite you to take out your phone. There's a QR code in front of you. Uh, Also, you can go to the EncounterChurch.org doing good. And we're inviting you to help provide a healthy portion of food for an entire school for an entire day for the low, low cost of $29.95, which is a pretty cool thing. And for some of you, you feel like, yeah, God is inviting me to give more, to go above and beyond. And I want to give $299 or $2,900. And for some of you, you know that's out of your range, and you're going to give a few bucks, but we all get to participate. We all get to do good in our community. So please, if you haven't, join us. It's an incredible thing to give as a church family. You can give online throughout the entire message. Just keep giving online while I'm talking. It won't bother me at all, I promise, and I'm excited that we get to be a part of that. As I'm talking right now, I just realized I exercised yesterday for the first time in a very long time. I went bouldering with my family if, like, to an indoor like, rock climbing place, and I am barely able to hold this microphone right now. I feel like it's just going to just... So if I had one of those fancy things that Dirk has, I would be well equipped. But uh, we're going to push through this. Uh, Excited to start a new message series today. You're going to hear more about that in a second. But as we begin, I want to talk about a place that has fascinated me for years. There is a remote Pacific island in the South Pacific called Rapa Nui. You might have heard of this. It's commonly referred to as Easter Island. Island, and I've read books for years about this place. Uh, Sailors and modern adventurers um, and explorers have visited and stayed for months, connecting with the people, learning about the history of this remote island. And I know about these gigantic statues called Moai and how they were carved over 800 years ago out of this volcanic rock as like memorials to ancestors. And I've researched how 7,000 people live there today and they celebrate their historic culture and how they live. And they, every year they do this Tapiti Festival, which is like this summer camp thing where they recognize their historic culture and they compete in these events for points. And I've, you know, Wikipedia and books, I've done all of this research and I've never been there. I've never been there. I know all about this island. But I've never experienced the people. I've seen pictures of these statues, but I've never walked along their base and and touched the volcanic stone. And I know about the Pacific Ocean, but I've never swam in the atolls. I've never experienced the reefs. And it's easier than ever today to know about something. To know about a person or a place or an idea and to never experience it, to not really know it. We can know about celebrities and TV stars. We can 
We can know about these people that we never really meet. We can watch YouTube videos about these tiny towns in far off places and never walk the streets and never meet the people. And man, it can happen to us in relationships too. We can know about someone near us, feel like we understand how they live, but never really connect with them. Maybe that's happened for you. Maybe a friend that you were close with. Over the years through cross-country moves, you know about the life that they're living in this other state, but man, you don't know them anymore. Maybe it's with adult children. A child that grew up in your home, you know their job, you know about their family, but over time, the distance has crept in and you don't know them anymore. Man, maybe it's about a relationship that you have. I feel like you know all the details about this person. But the relationship is not what it once was. You're no longer experiencing life with them. And man, if we're careful, if we're not careful, our life of faith can become very similar. Our life of faith could all be lived at a distance. We could follow Jesus from afar, and we could learn details about God, but we might never experience or have an understanding of who he is for ourselves. And maybe we could come, become professors, but not practitioners, researchers lacking a relationship with Jesus. And in this series, Unlikely, Jesus is the main character. It's Jesus who calls Messy, imperfect, and unlikely followers to a life that we could never imagine. And that's a life to know him. And the series is about Jesus, but it's a case study on the life of Peter, a a Jesus follower who was just that, who was a very unlikely follower, a lot like us. Someone who grew up knowing, knowing about God, And even grew up knowing about Jesus. But what he knew about God was that he didn't measure up. He wasn't enough to follow God. Until he met God face to face. If you have a Bible on your phone or in front of you, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4 verse 18. Matthew 4, 18. We're jumping right in abruptly to this story of Jesus calling Peter. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screens. Here it starts. Matthew 4, 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Man, uh, what a strange, just immediate story. And here's kind of just some editorial. Jesus is walking on the shore. Uh, These two brothers are fishing in a lake, which is a good place to fish. Uh, The Gospel of John mentions that they were likely in a boat. They were off the shore in a boat. And he also mentions that Peter's brother Andrew is presently a disciple of John the Baptist, which is an interesting piece of information. They see Jesus coming, and I just imagine like they're doing like net things or fishing things, and like one looks up and they're like, hey, hey, it's Jesus. Hey, it's Jesus. Did you hear that, uh, 
did you hear that John the Baptist just baptized him like just a couple days ago? I was like, really? That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he's now, he's like taking disciples now. He, it's, it's official. He's like become a rabbi. It was over in the Jordan River when he got baptized, like the sky opened up and a bird came down. It was pretty amazing. Peter's like, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Oh, hey, he's coming. He's coming over. And Jesus comes over and he says this. He says, come, follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people. Follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And it's this interesting, just immediate interaction that we're going to unpack. Because Peter has a pretty big decision ahead of him. Like, okay, all right, what am I going to do? Am I going to follow this guy, Jesus? And if so, what in the world does that mean for the rest of my life? And it does feel abrupt, right? It does feel abrupt. Uh, Picture yourself as a 24-year-old on a Thursday night in your kitchen, modern times here, you're doing dishes, which may or may not be what 24-year-olds do on a Thursday night. But your roommate comes home from a blind date. Okay, are you with me? And you're like, hey, how'd it go? And he's like, oh, man, it it was really great. Like, it was really great. We had, a, we had a great time. She's like super fun. She's funny. She's pretty. She knows your friend Sarah. Like, oh, cool. Yeah. Like, what, what'd you guys do? All right. Well, uh, man, we, uh, we went out to dinner. Like, we walked around downtown for a little bit. Um, we talked a ton. We got ice cream. Uh, she asked me to marry her. You're like, what? Yo, what'd you do for dinner? Though? Wait, what? She asked, you, she asked you to marry her? Like, you guys just met, right? Like, yeah, I know, right? Isn't that crazy? Man, but like she's, she's really pretty and uh, like she wanted me to quit my job. Uh, I just think, you know, is this, she might be the one, so I think we might get married. Um, that may or may not have happened to me when I was 24 to a roommate of mine. Uh, it feels like that's what's happening when Jesus is calling the disciples. It feels like this abrupt, like, hey, you guys just met, slow it down a little bit. But that is not actually, I promise, what's happening in this story. There is a cultural element at play here that shines shines so much light on this story. And I think it's a really beautiful thing. The first thing we need to realize is that Jesus did not come on the scene as a stranger in Galilee. He didn't just like appear like this mystery man who started calling people to his religious obscure cult. Jesus, remember, like he was born in Bethlehem and he grew up in a town called Nazareth, which is just a few short miles to where we're at here in the story in Galilee. This is a small town, and if you grew up or have been to a small town, you know when things happen, everybody knows, right? So when Jesus is walking on the shore, it's not this unknown figure like, who's that? It's the exact opposite. Peter and Andrew are like, hey, dude, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one that when he was born in Bethlehem, it was under suspicious and curious circumstances. Like shepherds immediately left their flocks and followed this star in the night. And the king got super jealous and created all sorts of issues for families as he tried to eliminate this pending 
Messiah. And if you remember this, international diplomats, wise men came from all sorts of other countries at his, like his birth home or his, the house that he was growing up in, and they brought gifts and they brought a blessing. And Jesus carries this reputation around with him. It's hard to like shake those things when you were young. Like that's who he was known to be. So he's not a mystery man. And I think that's important. Another layer of the story is this. For, for us, for kids that grow up today, 7 to 11 year olds, when they're interviewed about the jobs that they want, their dream jobs when they grow up, this generation will answer with athlete, teacher, YouTuber, artist, why is that funny? That's not funny. Artist, vet, or gamer. The previous generation listed teacher, vet, doctor, athlete, nurse, or scientist. Now, 20 centuries ago, that separate this cultural dynamic, we can't forget that Jesus was Jewish, and in Jesus' day, kids grew up with dreams for their future, but the dreams were limited more regionally and by class. Like most children did not have the luxury of like career placement tests, personality and gift mix profiles from school counselors. Kids grew up and they took the job that was offered basically what their family did. It was uh, tending flocks, agriculture, fishing, textiles. Your career options were whatever path your family's business were on, provided one exception. The most revered and desired job for both kids growing up and for their families, like in their ambition, was that of a rabbi. The rabbi was a deeply valued and respected career choice. Jewish children were raised with a reverence for Hebrew scriptures. And both boys and girls began studying and memorizing Hebrew scriptures at the age of five or six. Memorizing the Torah, uh, the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures or the first five books of our Old Testament. At the age of 12, boys would study the more complicated oral interpretations of the Torah, which is where we find Jesus in the book of Luke in chapter 2 when he's in the temple teaching to the religious leaders and he has actually lost for about three days. His parents can't find him. They finally go back to the temple and he's like up on a thing teaching and all of like the religious leaders are absolutely amazed at this 12-year-old teaching the religious leaders. So it's evident at a young age that Jesus has a gifting like they have probably rarely seen. And what we know about the rabbinic traditions that at the age of 12, the most gifted students would actually go to study with a a rabbi and they would memorize the Torah so they could interpret obscure passages, they could understand historical religious traditions. And they would do this for years, continuing to work their way kind of up in the rabbinical school until the age of 30, which is where we find Jesus. At the age of 30, a successful rabbi would launch off into their own career. So Jesus is on the shore, having just been baptized by John the Baptist, launching not only his divine ministry as the Son of God, but also launching his rabbinical career. And what is he doing? He's calling disciples. 
just like he was when he was 12. He's calling, the Hebrew word is talmid, which means disciples or students or apprentice. So Jesus is here. A successful rabbinical career underway, ready to call students and apprentices. So he's probably one of the brightest like young rabbi on the scene, right? So who's he going to call to be his Talmud, to be his disciples, to be his apprentices? Apprentice, I don't know. There's no way to know what the plural of apprentice is. And here we have Peter. Here we have Peter. What do we know about Peter? We know that he and the other soon-to-be-called Disciples are doing what? They're doing what? They're in a boat and they're fishing. And if they're fishing, they are not uh, rabbying. They're not being rabbi. Which means as they have grown up, what has not been available to them, they have not made their way through into a rabbinical career. They basically washed out of rabbi school and have returned back to their family business. And we find them on the shores fishing for their family. So we know that they're not rabbi, that they're fishermen. Another important fact, which I still have trouble like getting this out of my mind, I just picture Peter and these other guys as like old, middle-aged, adult dudes. Like gray beards, gruff voices, fishermen. For some reason I picture like Peter with like a peg leg and a patch, which I know is a pirate and that's different, but that's kinda, but that's not the case. They haven't made it through rabbi school, so that means they washed out of, of that school early. These, these are like teenage guys. Like Peter's probably the oldest, but we're talking 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old guys. Didn't make it as rabbis, returned as fishermen, and now they're just entering into fisherman life. Author Ray Vanderlaan says, these are kids, mostly older teenagers, Young Jewish bachelors and not Harvard stars. Nevertheless, they are honored to be invited as a potential apprentice to a new rabbi. He says this too. I love this. Don't our hearts go out to them more as they struggle to grasp all that Jesus is saying to them? Don't we have more patience with their blunders and their pride knowing that these are high school kids? And not 48, 45-year-old dudes who've kind of seen some things. These are young teenagers. And I love this picture of who Jesus is. That he doesn't take the perfect, the polished, the full of potential to be his followers. In some ways, he takes the washed up, the average, the overlooked, the insecure, the immature ones... And he stands on the shore saying, I'm, I'm ready to take students. I'm ready to take followers. Will you come and follow me? It's the unlikely ones. It's Peter. Jesus calls Peter to be his Talmud, to be his apprentice. So remember... Peter knows about God. He had gone through the early stages of rabbi school. He had grown up knowing Jesus' reputation. He knows about God. He knows about Jesus. But he doesn't know God. He doesn't 
know Jesus, and he doesn't know the, the details of what Jesus is calling him to hear. He has no idea what it might mean to follow Jesus. He has no idea what it might take and what he would experience. He didn't understand what was at stake, the potential of what might happen over the next three years walking with Jesus. He doesn't have any clue that he's truly going to meet and experience God. For Peter, it's more than just an invitation to see some cool new places. It's more than just an invitation to have a front row seat. It's some amazing miracles that Jesus is going to do. And it's more than just the ego boost of like hanging out with some popular people. Jesus is inviting him to follow and to know and to experience but at the time, he had no idea. At the time, Peter didn't know that he would become one of Jesus' most trusted friends, that he would be a part of an inner circle with James and John. He didn't know that he would experience things that other disciples wouldn't even get a glimpse at, raising a dead girl back to life, a powerful display of the presence of God at the transfiguration, and the painful, confusing moments in the Garden of Gethsemane. He didn't know that he would walk on water briefly. He didn't know that he would say foolish things, although he could probably guess it based on his track record. He didn't know that in an impulsive but courageous moment he would chop off a soldier's ear. And that one dark day he would deny even knowing Jesus. He didn't know at the time that he would have the opportunity to look Jesus in the face. And Jesus would say, I forgive you. And Jesus would restore Peter back to relationship after an agonizing betrayal. He didn't know that all of this would happen when he was standing on the shores. And Jesus said the simple words of, come follow me. Jesus said himself in John chapter 14, 7, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Peter has that opportunity. N.T. Wright, author, says this of Jesus calling Peter, you'll be catching people now was what Jesus said to Peter. But what did he think that that would mean? Did he know that the people in question, how they would feel about it? No, he didn't. And God, in his mercy, reveals things little by little. God, in his mercy, reveals things little by little. And that's the adventure that Jesus calls Peter to. And it's the same adventure he calls us to. We don't know what's happening. We don't know really what we're saying yes to when Jesus calls us. Now, my family, uh, we recently started watching the show Amazing Race. Has anyone seen that show? Amazing Race, wow. So uh, one of you, I'm gonna have to explain the, present, uh, the premise of the show. Uh, you know, groups of people go on little scavenger hunts throughout the world. Got it, we good? Uh, my kids love it. It's been a fun show. There's lots to like about it. For the most part, it just stresses me out terribly, the television program. 
because for 60 minutes, it's just people being late for things. It's just 60 minutes of like, I don't know where we're at and we're behind and we're gonna lose. It's an immense amount of anxiety. Uh, it's a crushing feeling to be like, to be late for something for me, let alone being lost. It's the worst thing ever. And yet we persevere. We watch the show every week. Uh, who pitched the show, by the way? It's like just saying, hey, let's pitch a show. It's just families late for church every morning. <laughs> going to love it. It'll be great on the Christian stations. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Uh, but what I like about the show as it's this global scavenger hunt where contestants never know where they're going next, and that's part of the adventure, uh, not knowing what's next and what it might demand of these contestants, not knowing what it might create in them, how it might bring them closer together. Peter lived that kind of life following Jesus, but not knowing what the following would even mean. And I get it. Some of you are saying, like, dude, that's the, that's the part about Christianity that, that is really difficult for me. It's the not knowing. It's not knowing what, what I've really said yes to, not knowing what, what Jesus, where he would take me, what he might demand of me, what he might ask or require of me. Like, that's the part that stresses me out. That, that's the part I worry about. And if that's you, yeah. That adventure, that yes to Jesus does require things. And it does take us places we might not know. But it's revealed in his mercy little by little by little. And and hear me, Jesus isn't trying to trick us. He's not trying to lead you on a goose chase. He's not trying to crush you. Jesus isn't trying to, to destroy you. It's in the following that God is creating something in you. And it's in the following where we experience who Jesus has created us to be. I want you to hear a story of someone in our community who's experiencing that very same thing as they say yes to Jesus. Take a look at this story. Hi, everyone. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kevin Templeman, and this is my faith story. Uh, My story might sound similar to some of your own stories. Um, I was brought up in a Christ-centered family, and I attended church and Christian school for the first 18 years of my life. I had all of the foundations of faith to build on. I was getting all the religious education and getting involved, Um, but the problem was that when it came to faith, everything was kind of laid out for me. Uh, Faith came easy just because I was constantly surrounded by it, and I would receive recognition when I took part or did the right things, and that's really what kept me going. So as I grew up, I felt like I was in a good place in my relationship with God. But after I went off to college and I left that faith-nurturing community that I had grown up in, it didn't take too long for my relationship with God to slip. All of the demands of school and a degree in architecture just took the top priority in my life. Um, And after 
not being able to find that Christian support that I was used to, it became so much easier just to lean into my coursework and put my relationship with God to the side. Um, I told myself that God would understand and that he would want me to succeed at the things that I was doing. Um, and I was doing fine on my own anyway. Uh, I basically told God that it isn't convenient for me to follow you right now and I'll get back to you later. So after six years of undergrad and master's degree and just trying to make my own way through life, I found myself facing a future where everything wasn't laid out for me. And it was just full of uncertainty and a lack of direction. Um, I didn't know what I was supposed to do with my life. And I had taught myself to try and carry, the, carry all of that on my own. So when it did get to be too much, and I did try and find God, uh, what I found was that a lot of distance had formed between where I was at and where God was. Um, the, you know, there was no life-altering event or even a date that I can point to and say, you know, that was the start of the drift. Um, I was a Christian, but I was far from God. Uh, so, you know, since that really confusing time in my life, uh, I decided that I needed to try something different and recommit my faith. And the way I had been going about life, trying to do it on my own, it just wasn't working. And I knew from before that my faith needed to be different this time around. I know that faith doesn't just happen by showing up and going through the motions. Uh, I had to learn how to see Jesus at work in my life every day. Um, and I had to learn how to talk to him daily. Um, I've realized that, you know, God wants to be in a relationship with me and he will meet me where I'm at. Um, and I don't always have to have everything all worked out and in order before I can come to Jesus. Um, you know, it's not always easy and I don't always get it right. Uh, but I know that Jesus isn't here to condemn me when I mess up, but rather he's here to draw me in close and love me even though I don't always get it right. Uh, I know that God has a purpose for me and my life um, and that he is molding me into the person he made me to be. Um, it's become very clear to me that Living a life for Jesus is a journey that lasts our entire lives and it will have its highs and its lows. Um, but my life is better with Jesus and I am following Jesus and he has changed my life. And thank you for listening to my story. Kevin said, I was a Christian but I was far from God. 
It's a powerful confession. Only more powerful is to hear him say, now I'm, I'm chasing after Jesus and he's changed my life. And the joy that he's experienced. Knowing about God is easier. Knowing about God is important, but it doesn't change our lives. Knowing about God strengthens our ideology, but experiencing God changes our identity. And we and you can know and experience God too. When we trust the things that we believe about God are true for us. You might believe that God is good, that God saves, and that's true, and it's good to believe that, but it's knowing about God. When you believe that God is good to you, you experience God's goodness. You can believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he died as a sacrifice for people, he rose again. When you believe those things, it's good, it's important, it's true. But that's believing something about who Jesus is. But when you believe that Jesus died a perfect life, he was crucified and he rose again for you so that you could experience the life that he offers. That's experiencing Jesus. That is believing and knowing Jesus, not just something about him. And Peter learned this along the way. He wrote it later in life in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He didn't know what hung in the balance when he was deciding what it would mean to follow Jesus. And you don't either. You don't either. Tomorrow when you wake up and you go get ready to start setting your nets and you hear the voice of Jesus call you and say, come and follow me. You get the chance to say yes to experience him to experience Jesus as a provider for you, to experience Jesus as a savior for you, to experience Jesus as someone who comes alongside you in difficult days, who comforts you in struggle, <laughs> who forgives you and offers you peace from your shame. The path to knowing God and experiencing Jesus it is an adventure. And it'll take you places that you might not expect. But it's in that journey that we experience Jesus for who he is. And it's in that journey that he changes us to be who he's called us to be. And my friends, that is the best way to live. It's the best way to live, to say yes to following Jesus. Let's do that now as we pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you call the unlikely ones, that you call us to follow you. God, teach us the joy and the peace of not just knowing about you, but of experiencing you as a king, as a savior, as a friend. We worship you now, Jesus, for who you are and what you do in our lives. Amen. Hey, church. 
It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.